this is the second week of a series, Miracles, the, the Real Ones. And last week I talked about how the, the term miracle has really been reduced uh, in, in meaning. We, we think it's a miracle when we find a, a parking spot easily or if we go through a, a fast food drive through and they get our order correctly. It's a, it's a miracle. And, and so the term has been overused to the point where we've forgotten what a miracle really is. And so... When Jesus worked miracles, they, they prompted both a, a respect for his power and a, a trust in his goodness. And today we examine the account of a man blind from birth who was healed by Jesus. And this man's blindness serves as a, a metaphor for our own spiritual blindness. We all have some blind spots that Satan wants to exploit. And so that's what I want us to understand today, that we can be blinded by many distractions that take our focus uh, off of Jesus. So let's, let's discover, first of all, what, what blinds. And we, we go to our text here in, in John chapter 9. If you keep your Bibles open there, we're going to study through this section here, the first 11 verses. So it says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did he sin or did his parents? It's always been human nature to rush to analyze the cause of a catastrophe. We want to determine the cause of a problem with the hope of avoiding a repeat occurrence. Think about it. Once you've eaten a late night meal of spicy Mexican food, you want to avoid having heartburn and another sleepless night. So you're more cautious about that going forward. In their superstition, they had concluded that God must be punishing this man for some uh, egregious sin that he has committed. And this man was, was born blind before he could ever consciously sin or, or disregard God. He, as an innocent child, he started out with this blindness. He wasn't being judged or, or punished with his disability. And, and then they reasoned, well, it, it must be his parents who did something majorly wrong. And in their archaic thinking, that was the conclusion to which they jumped. And, and modern man isn't different. We've all thought, I, I bet I didn't get that job because God is punishing me for what I did back in college. And we'll, we'll try to analyze what might be the cause. But, but contrary to this prevailing opinion, God didn't smite this man with blindness as he was developing in the womb. And instead, this young infant, unborn, his, his optic nerve developed incorrectly. It was a physiological problem. There was a, a disconnect that prevented him from having proper sight. It was a natural law or a genetic defect that God had permitted but not caused. And Jesus explained why God had allowed it that it would give the opportunity for many to see God's power at work in overcoming the natural effects of 
our broken, fallen world. With this story, Jesus, Jesus cautioned us that there are circumstantial setbacks and, and we mustn't rush to judgment. The truth is, we often don't have enough information to know those answers of all the background causes to the difficulties in life. And it's easy for life to get blinded. What blinds us? Our schedules can be blurred by busyness. The, the tyranny of the urgent can prevent us from investing our lives in, in lasting, eternal, or substantial purpose. I think our priorities can blind us. Our priorities can be skewed by the wrong pursuits. One man observed, I've spent my whole life climbing the ladder only to discover that the ladder has been leaning against the wrong building. What's blinding you this morning? The first step to regaining your sight is to discover what is obscuring your vision. We can be blinded by distractions that function much like cataracts. And with, within your life, what's holding you back? Is it the, the cataract of, of greed? Is it the cataract of lust? Is it the cataract of anger? When we focus on Jesus, we can regain our sight and return to 2020 vision. If you are not aware and certain of the things that are distracting you from the Lord, then ask your spouse or a trusted friend or your children. They will be very ready and willing to help you identify the areas that are blind spots to you personally. One little girl asked her mother, why does daddy always work on the computer when he gets home? She said, well, honey, daddy has so much work to do that he can't get it all done while he's at work. And innocently, the little girl asked, why don't they just put him in a slower group? <laughs> if you are uncertain, then your assignment is to work to discover what is blinding you. And I'm almost certain that most of us are acutely aware of our own blind spots. And I think that leads us to our next assignment. We begin by discovering what blinds us. And then we move toward restoring our focus. When my dad was 30, he learned abruptly how precious is the sense of sight. Our family was returning from vacation, and we were involved in a head-on collision near Bloomington, Illinois. My dad's head hit the steering wheel, shattering his glasses and depositing 22 microscopic splinters of glass in his eyes. Here we are, miles from home in a strange town. His wife, my mother, was fighting for her life in the ICU. His young sons had been taken home by an ER nurse so we'd have a place to stay while our parents were hospitalized. And he had to have his eyes bandaged as he awaited eye surgery. And for the first time in his life, he experienced what it was like to be completely blind. It was a very challenging 
faith-building experience for this young father. The hospital had access to a leading eye surgeon who did a marvelous job, and my dad had a full recovery. And in fact, his, his eyesight was better after the accident than it was before. It had been a, a difficult, lonely experience that, that ended well, but taught him how frightening it is not to be able to see. It says in our text in, in John 9, verse 4, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus speaking, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light in an otherwise dark world. Verse 6 says, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and then put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Probably most of us have sat in a chair in a darkened room at the eye doctor's office and been directed to an illuminated eye chart and have been asked the question, all right, which looks better, this, click, or this, click? I, I can never tell. There's usually not that much difference. Can we do that one again? And uh, we, we've all sat there, and it's easy for life to get out of focus. And this man's focus returned only when he did what Jesus had commanded him to do. And, oh, what a change it made for him. He left the house blind in the morning, but he came home seeing that evening. Scales fell after washing that, that mud from his eyes. When you entered the room this, this morning, there may have been some things that were blocking or obscuring your focus on the Lord. Maybe some personal pressures or problems, some, some trouble at work, a financial burden, a health concern. And, and those things have a way of blocking and, and blurring our vision. Uh, our lives can also obscure our vision by the smudges of sin, the, the, the thumbprints of poor choices we have made, the, the greasy film of, of doing wrong. And so just as we use pl little cleaners to, to wipe our sunglasses or eyeglasses clean, and we, we then get that residue off that has restricted us from seeing clearly, and we can recalibrate and, and have that clear vision. That's what this morning is a challenge for you to do, is to, to get your focus right with God, to get your sights set on the things above so that your vision isn't disturbed by negativity and division that Satan wants to use to, to blind our focus and, and obscure our vision. But before any of this could happen, the blind man was commanded to wash. And in the same way in the New Testament, we're commanded to wash our lives clean in baptism. The Apostle Peter, who first asked people 
to be baptized on the day of Pentecost when the church began, years later used the, the metaphor of Noah's flood destroying a sinful world and, and the world being washed or purged through that water of the sinful element. He, he likened this to baptism in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. He's just been speaking of Noah and the flood. He says, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. So is the water magical or powerful? No, it's, it's just Batesville tap water. But it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power is through the sacrifice. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross that effects our forgiveness, that extends his grace. And so baptism by immersion is a washing. It's a cleansing. It's an external visual picture of what God is doing at that moment in our lives to, to purify our soiled souls. As the water envelops us, as we're lowered beneath the surface, it seals us from the past life. And then Romans 6 describes that as we break forth and are lifted from the waters, we rise to walk in the newness of life. Clean, forgiven, brand new, a fresh start, a new beginning. And the blind man's focus became obeying Jesus. That should be our focus. Part of our response when we've been healed spiritually is sharing our source of sight. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and, and beg? And some claimed, yes, uh, that, that's, that's right. Others said, no, he, he only looks like him. But he insisted, I am the man. They said, well, how then were your eyes opened? He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud. I know this sounds unconventional, but he put it on my eyes and he told me to go to Salome and wash. And I went and I washed and then I could see. Then dropping down to verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And therefore the Pharisees also asked him, how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and, and I washed and, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Their strict human interpretation of the Sabbath precluded any work being done. Although the, the Mosaic law talked about if your ox falls in the ditch and it's the Sabbath, you can get your ox out of the ditch. You know, there, there are some extenuating circumstances for the welfare of, of man and animal where you know, we, we suspend this, this overall idea of a day dedicated to God. And Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath, the author of the Sabbath. He wasn't breaking the Sabbath. He understood that people were more important than rules and 
rigid regulations that had been imposed by the Pharisees and didn't originate from God. Others said, well, you say he's a sinner because he did good on the Sabbath. How can a sinner perform such signs? That doesn't happen. And so they were divided. And so then they turned to the blind man and said, well, what do you have to say about it? It was your eyes that he opened. What do you think? Sinner or saint? Well, I think he's a prophet. They still did not believe. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. It didn't fit their narrative. So they still did not believe that he had been blind. And, and they had received his sight. And so they sent for his parents. Is this your son? And they were going to do a little Maury DNA testing background check here. And is, is, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we, we don't know. We, we weren't there. Ask him. He's of age. He's, he's not a child. He can speak for himself. And there's kind of a little parenthetical footnote here. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, uh, he's of age, ask him. They were essentially pleading the Fifth Amendment. They're saying, uh, you know, we don't want to incriminate ourselves here or suffer any consequences. Why don't you just talk to him about this? And so a second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. Hey, you, you little liar, come on. Come out with it. Give us the truth. Uh, and then they said, we know this man is a sinner. And there was no effort to try to decide what was right or wrong. They had their preconceived idea. And so they were just looking to support and substantiate that. And verse 25 ought to be underlined in your Bible. I think it's, it's one of those classic texts. And so this is what the man said. They, they pressed him again. He said, you know, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind. Now I see. You understand that your testimony is irrefutable. No one can argue with you when you say, you know, I... I haven't been to Bible college. I, I don't have all the answers to every question or, or, or nuance of, of, about the Bible. But I can tell you this. My life's a lot different than it was a few years ago. My values are different. My priorities have changed. Uh, my quality of life is, is better as I've been trying to walk with the Lord. So whether he's a sinner or not, can't speak to that, but I know he's made this difference in my life. And the man proudly told others of, of what Jesus had done for him. He wasn't intimidated because he didn't know the answers. He, he just spoke personally of the transformation he had experienced. Your own story can make a difference for someone else. You need to share it. The game clock is running down. The, the sand is sifting through the hourglass. We have a limited time to complete our mission. As the song lyric 
based on this passage, warns work for the night is coming when our work is done. We need to have an urgency in telling others about Jesus. Who are you inviting to join you each week at our worship services? Jude 23 says, save others by snatching them from the fire. It's talking about the fire of hell, that we can make a difference in someone's eternal destination. And so it's saying attempt to resuscitate someone. Do something. Try to save another's life. Don't stand by idly with your hands in your pockets while you watch a burning building go up in smoke. You don't want to to see anyone pass away not knowing Christ. And, And so you don't want to suffer that guilt that accompanies the knowledge that you didn't do all you could to reach your friend. Several years ago, a, a church member shared this, this testimony with me at, at Bright. He said, Rob was a, a friend of, of mine at work, and although we worked in different areas, I, I made it a point to, to stop in and chat with him when I was nearby. I knew he was married. He had three young kids. He loved to do some serious four-wheeling, the, the rock-crawling kind, with, with his buddies. One Saturday morning, I received a call that Rob had been in an accident. One of the guy's trucks had gotten hung up on some rocks and Rob was running the the winch on the back of his truck when it broke loose and several thousand pounds of of pressure, it was released. It flew back through his back window, hit him in the head and and, and killed him instantly. The individual that was sharing this said, "I, I parked my car in front of the funeral home. I entered through a narrow hallway that was nearly blocked by men sobbing, trying without success to regain control. I looked around the main room and all I saw were dozens of people, not just crying, but but wailing. The young widow and her family were holding each other, were wailing, unable to control their own pain, unable to console each other. As I attempted to offer my condolences, it became apparent that none of them had any relationship with Jesus. For them, it was over. As far as I know, my my friend was not going to heaven. And in all the years I'd worked with Rob and all the chats that we've had, I I never shared my faith. I never shared my hope. I never shared my Jesus with my friend. And in part, this pain that I was witnessing was was my fault. I had failed to see the opportunities that God had given me. I had failed to carry out my calling, and it broke my heart. I ask for forgiveness. I ask God to to never let me forget that I'm the one he told to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm the one that's to baptize all the nations. I'm the one who was supposed to be Jesus to my friend, Rob. Since then, I started praying a, a little prayer each day. He wrote after that, God, please let me see what you have prepared for me to do for you in this day. Give me the wisdom, the strength, the courage to speak boldly when you call me. Empty me of me. Fill me with your spirit and speak through me. Life or death, heaven or hell, 
saved or lost. Eternity is hanging in the balance. Heaven is at stake. Do we really believe in hell? If so, then urgency is the inevitable resulting response. A few years ago, uh, a member requested that I would speak with a a man who was battling for his, his life with terminal cancer. He was on her mail route. She was a postal carrier and had carried his mail for 10 years and had a, a great fondness for, for this, this man and wanted him to, to, to be, be saved. She made the statement to him, I, I want you to be in heaven with me. And, and so I, I went over and, and met and studied with him and was able to lead him to the Lord and he made that decision for Christ and I had the privilege of baptizing him and, and it changed the entire complexion of that funeral and that visitation into one of, of hope, one of future reunion, one of God's grace. It was because his mail carrier said, I, I want you to be in heaven with me. It's our duty to invite others to, to know Christ and obey him, to snatch them from the flames before it is too late. If there were people trapped in a burning building, we would do everything in our power to liberate them to safety. So why do we treat eternal flames with less intensity? Why do we sit back and wait for someone else to, to carry out the rescue? So would you bow your, your heads right now? I want you to pray with me. And then Justin is going to come and, and, and sing. We'll, we'll stand during his song and use that as a, an invitation time today. Lord, we ask you for forgiveness for times when we have not spoken up for you, for times when we've been too tentative or, or timid, too busy to be bothered, too self-absorbed to see the needs of others, too inconsistent to be effective. Forgive us and, and help us do better in, in shining on those we encounter. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand right now. Once we receive our sight, we want to share it with others. And so that's, that's our next step, to, to, to talk to others about the Lord, invite them to come to church with us, to, to, to listen and and bear their burdens and, and their, their tough times. For, for whom are you praying to develop their spiritual sight? This song that Justin is going to sing is a song of deliverance that talks about how Jesus alone can provide that. And it's, it's taken from the blind man's perspective.